What's going on, guys? This is Sam Key coming at you again with episode number three of the Better Business Podcast. Uh, today, I have a very special guest with me. His name is Ted Ent. Ted is the CEO and president of Innisfree Hotels down in Pensacola Beach. And to be honest with you, this episode probably could have gone on for another hour, hour and a half. Ted's just such a great guy with so much information. And I really enjoyed this conversation. And I think you guys will too. So with that being said, enjoy the podcast and thanks for listening. Welcome to the show. I believe that life is more than finding a job and collecting a paycheck. If you agree, then keep on listening for great advice from people approaching their careers and business the right way. This is my journey into the stories of successful men and women. My name is Sam Key, and this is the Better Business Podcast. And welcome to the Better Business Podcast. Um, Once again, I'm your host, Sam Key, and today I have a very special guest with me. His name is Ted Ent. He is from Industry Hotels down in Pensacola Beach. He is the CEO and president. And Ted, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. So is everything everything going okay down in Pensacola? Yeah, everything's great. Actually, Memorial Day weekend starts tomorrow, so it's all hands on deck. I spent the better part of the day out on Pensacola Beach touring our facilities with our team, making sure we're ready for what what is the first of many sold out weekends until till the fall. So this is really the start of our big season. Okay, and I really appreciate once again, really appreciate you taking the time. I know it's busy there, but you taking the time every day to come and do this podcast with us it means a lot to me um and ted i guess just a little bit of uh to give a little bit of context like could you give maybe your background and what it is you do for industry hotels sure um as you mentioned i'm the president and ceo of industry hotels we are a builder buyer and owner of beachfront hotels we also have a management company a small spa business, a restaurant arm. We own a little bit of retail facilities, but that's not our core business. Our core business is owning and operating beachfront uh, limited service and full service hotels. Uh, I'm a lifelong hotelier. I've been in the hospitality business since I was a teenager. Uh, That's how I put myself through college or assisted putting myself through college. And it's uh, the decision I made when I graduated to stay in the industry, and it served me very well. I could definitely say it seems it seems like that to me. Uh, and so, with your first job, was it not uh, you were a dish dishwasher? Was your first? Yeah, job? A, a pot washer, a pot washer okay. to be precise. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, that was, you know, really when you look back on things in your life, and you. You try to pinpoint, you know, obviously you've got to have some skills, some talent, um, be in the right place at the right time, and some luck. And taking that pot washer job for me was a whole lot of luck, I think, and, and also right place at the right time. Uh, the, the pot washing portion of that didn't last very long, and the executive chef of the facility pulled me out of there and handed me a, a chef's coat and said, I want to teach you how to cook. And... So by the middle of the summer, I was running the night shift, and uh, as the the headline cook, which then turned into an executive chef kind of role, and me owning my catering business in college for a little while, 
and really getting the bug for the hospitality industry. So at the time I, I took that job, I was actually studying aquatic biology in college, and my intent was to become an aquatic biologist. But after I I sort of fell in love with the, the hospitality industry, I quickly changed my major to business, which is ultimately what I got my degree in. Okay, and like with you had uh, with you and uh, the whole cooking background, is that something you thought about for a little while? Is maybe just staying in the kitchen, staying a chef? Yeah, I did. You know, I I, I cut my teeth doing that, and I was really lucky to have a, a great mentor. And we spent a lot of personal time together outside of work. You know, that's kind of the nature of the restaurant business. You work really hard together, and then you all go hang out after the day is done, which usually is pretty late at night. And um, he was a really great mentor to me. Um, at one point, I thought about dropping out of college and going to culinary school to the Culinary Institute of America and and, um, and really taking that pursuit. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized that, you know, as creative as I thought I was at the time with the food and everything, what I really intrigued me more than that was the actual business aspect as well. I was always been good with numbers. Uh, I've always been analytical and uh, I thought, you know, coupling my hands-on experience in the restaurant industry with a business degree was a pretty good route for me to take and really turned out to be, to be a strong route. Yeah. And that's what I, I've noticed. uh, One thing I noticed between you and also my first guest I had on this episode, Hunter Strickler, Hunter gave a really big, uh, a really big speech during my first podcast about the importance of having a mentor and having somebody over you that can kind of guide you along the way. Could you maybe give us a little bit of your opinion on that? I mean, how important you think that is for any profession? I think that is critical, not just in your professional life, but in your personal life too. You know, professionally finding a mentor or mentors plural can make the difference in you making good decisions and truly being satisfied with what you choose to do with your life or being somebody who goes to work and does a good job, but you're really like a widget maker. There's really no soul behind what you're doing. You don't feel like you, you know, really achieved some of the the boxes you want to check in life. And, and obviously as, as you get older, you know, you get out of college, you start establishing the foundation for your career. You start moving towards these goals and objectives you set for your life. Uh, some people get married and have kids early. Some people want to wait. They want to get a little nest egg first. But no matter what happens, life gets a little more complicated. You start making a little more money. You make some investments. Some of them fail. Some of them don't. And having that that mentor, even in your personal life, to help kind of guide you through the process of uh, becoming a mature adult is is very, very important. I've been very fortunate. I've had a, a small collection of really outstanding mentors. And the founder of Industry, Julian McQueen, who is not just a person and chairman of the board that I report to, but also a very close personal friend. He and I met 15 years ago. And we immediately had a personal connection. Our lens of the world was very similar. Our opinion about society was very similar and things that corporations should do to better society beyond just producing the profits that their design, their business plan is designed to create. 
And unbeknownst to me, that relationship really turned into what has become the best job I've had in my career so far. You know, Julian watched my career from afar. We always stayed in touch over those 15 years. And about a year and a half ago, he reached out and said, I'm ready to become chairman. Um, so over those years, that 15 year period, I always reached out to Julian and I started a company about six years ago in Houston, and I was modeling that company's culture off of Julian's. So even from afar, I had a distant mentor who had some fundamentals that were core to my belief system, and he helped give me a lot of guidance over those years. Um, I always paid attention to decisions he made and things that he did. And also in that 15 years, I had another closer mentor to me that was actually more integral to my day-to-day life than Julian was. So mentors, I think, can come in many different forms. Uh, They can serve many different purposes. They are very, very critical. Um, I'm a big believer, and you shouldn't just pick your career path and your job, but you should also try to pick your boss, especially early out of the gate. Um, You know, I interviewed for a lot of really great jobs. Some of them higher, much higher pain than the job I had at the current time. But I just couldn't find that connection with who my supervisor would be, or in, in some cases, even who my supervisor's supervisor would be, or, or maybe even the owner of the company. And, and I just always shied away from those opportunities, believing that a big part of success is being surrounded by people that are like-minded enough that work becomes fun. Work becomes the common denominator to everybody in the room because of the similarities and, and the value add that each person offers when they come to work every day. Yeah, and that's definitely the few times that I've talked to you, I can definitely vouch for that's something that you you live by. You live by, you seem to be having fun doing what you're doing, and you seem to just have just an amazing energy to you. Like I told uh, when you called me or when I emailed you about coming on the podcast, yeah, I was amazed that not only that you wanted to take the time out of your day to come on the podcast, but that you sent me back an email with tips and advice and little ideas that you had for the podcast that could make it better. And I mean, I think that just vouches yeah. for, I mean, your career and how much you enjoy what you do. Yeah, it is. It's, um, you know, having fun. I tell my children all the time. Decide what you want to be in life and whatever that looks like to you, make sure you don't ever feel like you had to go to work. And I can honestly say in the uh, about 30, roughly 30 years I've been in the hospitality business, I've had some hard days of work and some not so fun days of work, but I've never really felt like I got up in the morning and went to work. It was just part of who I am, part of my day, part of my commitment to my family and my life. And so it just never felt like work to me and still doesn't feel like work. It's just what I do. Um, and it's, you know, goes back to some decisions I made early on, as you and I have discussed before. When I graduated college, I had an opportunity uh, to get into the technology industry for a much higher paying job. And, and, and this is back in 1991 or 92. And, um, technology was really starting to take off in those years and obviously exploded in the 90s and then further exploded in the early 2000s. And I had to make some tough choices. And, you know, to the chagrin of my parents, I chose a job with a restaurant company as opposed to a job with a technology company. 
the restaurant job paid about a third the amount of money. Uh, it was going to be a lot harder work, a lot longer hours. I was going to have to work nights, holidays, weekends, you know, all the things you hear as mantra in, in urban legend out there in the work field. Oh, you want these jobs and you have to work holidays and weekends and nights. And I chose my path because it's really what I enjoyed. I love being around a lot of people. I love interacting with people. I love leading people and coaching people. And uh, I love the challenge that human nature creates in the workplace. And in the technology field, I didn't think I was going to get that. I wasn't going to be able to check that box. It was more of a technical job overseeing robots and, um, and a lot of analysis, which I still do in my day-to-day job today. Uh, but I also get to, to interact with people from the time I, I wake up in the morning until the time I try to shut it off at night. Yeah, and, uh, oh, I'm being, sorry. Well, I was just going to add in, you know, because of that decision that I made, it really kind of crafted the life I've been able to lead, the successes I've been able to enjoy, and, and most importantly, the experiences and people I've been able to meet along the way, too. Yeah, and that's definitely like with your situation, you have been in hospitality since you were young. What advice would you give for somebody that you know is 22, 23, about to graduate college, and they just haven't had that moment where they felt like something's grabbed them yet? What advice would you have for them to go out and find that? So, you know, there's and there's been a lot of things written recently about how to direct your life when you get right out of college and what you should look for and. There, there are several, I think, viewpoints you could take for that. The first thing I think young people should do is really sit down and have a conversation with themselves and ask what seem like basic questions, but are actually very important questions. Questions like, do I want to work outside or inside? Do I like getting dirty or not at all? Is getting up and wearing business style clothing important to me or am I happy in blue jeans and flip flops? When you start really having that conversation with yourself, certain things start to come to light about things that could make you happy. And, and let me tell you, you know, I studied aquatic biology for the first three and a half years I was in college. I thought that's what I was going to do. I changed my major for a few reasons. One was my love for the hospitality industry. The other one was I was really struggling with how I was going to feed myself when I got out of college with that degree. (laughs) Uh, Unbeknownst to me, a couple of guys who got degrees in that started a a business where they build luxury bass fishing ponds for ranch owners in Texas and Oklahoma. And they use the science behind it and build these ponds and use the coal to build other ponds. And it's a, a, a pretty elaborate system they have. And, and ultimately, what the customer ends with up with is a, a pond of their liking, their custom design, full of 10 to 20 pound bass. And these guys are making a fortune doing this. You know, I didn't have the vision as a scientist to see a business opportunity there. It would have been a mistake, I think, for me to pursue that science path. In the hospitality industry, I had that vision. 
uh, I knew that I wanted to be around a lot of people. I liked to interact. I liked the service culture. I didn't mind the hours. Uh, I didn't mind working nights, holidays, and weekends, although the older I got, the harder that got, especially after I had kids. <laughs> um, but but when you when you ask yourself those questions and you start drilling down, remember, you've got to start somewhere. And a lot of people turn down a lot of good opportunities because I personally believe they think it's too far down on the totem pole. You know, a lot of people come out of college that spend a lot on their education. They've worked very hard to get their grades. They've worked very hard to achieve things while they were in school, whether it's club achievement or fraternal achievement. There's a laundry list of things you can achieve. And when they get out, they're ready to get paid, right? They're ready to to hit the world, be successful. You know, the press portrays the adult world as, as something magnanimous and at the end of the day, you have to start somewhere. And the broader base you can build for yourself, the easier your promotional opportunities will come to you as you go down the line. And, you know, my my base of starting at the bottom and working through all these different jobs on the way up uh, really served me well. And people then started to come to me looking for my expertise, knowing I had this well-rounded background in hospitality, understood development and finance and real estate, and most importantly, operations. I'd cleaned rooms. I'd washed dishes. I'd cooked. I'd, I'd been a waiter. Uh, I worked the front desk. I worked, you know, the valet service. Um, I did all those fundamental jobs that happened in a hotel. That helps me do my job. When I walk into one of our hotels, I can usually quickly identify where those issues are in the hotel because I've done all the different jobs and I, I, I did them well. Um, so that's one piece of advice is, is don't be afraid of the hard work on the front side. If you really believe in the path you want to take, understanding what you want to do with your life and taking that path may not have a whole lot of, of salary and profit on the front side, but if you stick with it, the money will eventually come. Uh, you know, I, I think back on my career, I haven't looked for a job in over 20 years. They've just kind of appeared to you. Jobs have always come to me, at least in the last 20 or so years, uh, maybe 25 years. And, um, and, and that's the career path you want to create. You want to... You want to get all your, your technical skills, build your transferable skills. And, you know, I tell my people, it's, I call it PT&A, transferable skills, technical skills, and aspiration. If you build technical and transferable and you have a lot of great aspiration and you're willing to work hard and you're willing to collaborate and do all the things that are important to make a team function, people will recognize that. You'll gain a reputation out there as somebody who is value add and and a real positive opportunity for a work team if you're able to get them. And uh, once you establish that in your career path, then the jobs will come to you. People will want to have you on their team. Will want your expertise and uh, and your ingenuity and your brain power and all the other things you've got. Um, another piece of advice that that I give people coming out of college is, uh, and this is maybe the hardest piece of advice to give, but 
you always have to keep in mind as you go through your interview process. You know, you follow the the tone of the interview that your interviewer sets. But remember, they know that you've gotten this amazing education. It's on your resume. You've got the sheepskin to prove it. Um, unless they ask you, there's no reason to tell them how smart you are and how much you learned in college. What they really want to know, because they're going to assume you're smart, and they're going to assume you learned what you were supposed to learn from the curriculum. What they really want to know about you is who you are. Show up at every interview and be you. And a lot of people can fake it till they make it. And those people generally have a really tough time building their career. Because what employers are really looking for is somebody who's real. Somebody who's humble, who knows what they don't know, and wants to bring what they do know to the table and add value and learn at the same time and uh, and be an active member of, of a positive workplace. And I've hired so many people, not necessarily because of the vast amount of technical experience they had, but because in that interview, I could see the real person and thought that person was perfect for this team. I can give them what they might not already have and we'll, we'll be able to be successful together. Um, so often I see people in, in, in their version of impression is, is, uh, is more surface and substantive. And, and that's one big piece of advice I try to give everybody. Yeah. And I, and one thing, I mean, that's all three of those points are amazing. That's, that's some really solid advice. One thing I think that a lot of kids my age get caught up doing is they get caught up looking at that end goal, looking at like what you're talking about where you don't have to compete. You just have people come up to you based off your skill set. And they, I mean, they just don't seem to understand that that's how you get to that point is going through all of it. There's no quick fix. There's no book you're going to be able to buy that's going to tell you all those secrets in one moment. That's right. That's right. You've got to learn a lot of things. And um, I think... You know, all of us in life eat a little bit of humble pie, eventually. <laughs> and you know, me personally, I've I've had a really strong career path. Uh, I've always been able to excel. I, when the recession hit in 2007 and 8, we we actually those of us who were knee deep in real estate in 2007 saw it coming, and by 2008 it was obvious. Uh, and you know, I ended up getting promoted twice in the recession. Um, wow. A lot of that, I, I, a lot of that I attribute to the fact of recession or no recession. I didn't change my behavior. I had a lot of colleagues who were playing more golf and coming into work late because there just wasn't that much work for us to do. I was a deal guy at the time out, you know, accessing and putting deals together for a hotel company. And, you know, that stuff dried up really quick when the money dried out. But I kept plowing forward and going out and pounding the pavement and calling all of my contacts and clients and, and lenders and just trying to scrape any deal I could. I even tried to assemble a $212 million golf resort deal in Austin, Texas. That <laughs> we got all the way to the end zone and it blew up. And I worked on the one deal for almost 10 months, you know, and after the recession was over, the guy that chased that deal with me, a, a local real estate investor in Austin, it came up for sale again and he called me and said, Hey man, you want to chase that deal again? And I said, Dude, I don't have 10 months to give to that deal again. Um, and that's all about timing. You know, that's another message I have for, for people is, 
timing plays a lot in life and um it's it's the relationships you're able to build along the way and the mentors you're 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 able to attract um because they mentors don't come easy people that are good mentors are very selective about who they mentor and and timing is is very important you know don't try to force something into bad timing because it's probably not going to work that doesn't mean slow down your 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 business plan or or change your course or anything like that but sometimes you've got to stop and say right now is not the right time to make that move i need to sit tight enjoy the situation i've got uh keep learning keep growing keep taking notes keep my eye on my personal prize whatever that prize is and where i want to get my life to be and things will come together and and they usually do um if you if you look at your career path pragmatically um with the the same level of creativity which they're kind of in conflict sometimes i believe they do um you know that's as as recently as six years ago i told my wife you know i don't want to be a ceo i'm fine developing my own hotel deal i had a small company which i guess i kind of was the ceo i didn't give myself that title i had a capital partner and maybe he was really the ceo who knows i probably was in all sense of word because i had to get his approval to, to make investments and and i was on the surface i thought i was happy um i did a couple hotel deals a year I uh, worked at my own pace, stayed busy all the time because that's how I am. I like to be busy. And then my friend Julian called me and said, Hey man, what do you think of this opportunity? And that my first reaction was, yeah, why would I change what I'm doing? I've got a really good gig going. Uh, financially was set, didn't really have any needs. And he said, wait, but there's more. You know, I really don't want much more out of life. So I want to take the proceeds of the company. I want to give them back to charity. I want to give them back to the communities where we do business. So the person who takes this job is not going to just going to have to run the company. We've got to run the foundational aspect, the philanthropic aspect of what we create with the company. That got my attention. That's what made the difference between me being satisfied with my life and excited about my life. Because that was the one box I wanted to check in life that I hadn't checked yet. I really wanted to give back and make a difference in communities that otherwise wouldn't have support or needed more support for people who don't have the opportunities that a lot of people have, but still have the skills and the desire. And so that's a big part of my job now is, is doing a lot of that work too. And, um, so unbeknownst to me, I guess I really did want to be a CEO ultimately, but I wanted to be the kind of CEO I am now, not the kind of CEO other opportunities that had been offered to me before offered. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. And I and I mean, I imagine, I imagine when you thought CEO, you also kind of imagine, you know, the just the big guy at the helm of the helm of the shift that was running things and wasn't really involved in the day-to-day stuff but i mean you seem to be as involved with the day-to-day stuff as any employee in the whole company yeah i am i love to be hands-on i believe that uh i call it setting the tone and 
I believe in leading by example and, and sharing. And, and that sharing is a two-way street. I walk all of our properties regularly. I go to all of our markets where we do business uh, at least once every six or seven weeks, uh, some much more frequently than others, depending on our investment level in the market. Um, and I get to know all of our people because they're the core of our business. Without our people, we're at a standstill. I can make the best financial decisions anywhere we can find the best deals anywhere, but if we don't have a team of people who can execute for us in the hospitality industry, we might as well stay at home. And so I make it a point to get out and meet the people and talk to them about what's going on in their life, what's going on in, at home, what's going on at work, what can make things better. You know, as an example, I did a tour of all of our properties about know, four or five months ago. And just so it was on a Saturday, and he's got a car started driving and stopped in the properties and talking to people. I went in and you know, on Saturday afternoon, it was the winter time. So our beach markets were fairly slow. Most of the department people who were there were, were laundry attendants. So I was talking to a lot of the people in laundry and I looked around these laundry rooms and they were drab and the walls were painted gray. They had all, you know, done some amazing things like they figured out that if they put an iPhone in a styrofoam cup, that it would amplify the sound. So that's what they were using as a speaker. <laughs> and so I got to talking to these folks and, and it was a very consistent scene that I saw in all of our different laundry facilities. And I got to talking to them and I said, you know, what would make your work environment better? And of course they said, well, if we had something to, to Bluetooth to our iPhone, that'd be great. Easy fix, you know. A, a Bluetooth speaker's not much money. Now we have speaker systems in all of our laundry facilities. And then I looked at us and said, you guys like the color of these walls? They said, no, but we've never really thought about it. I said, well, why don't y'all get together and decide what color you want the walls to be? Because this is where you have to work every day. So now we got laundry rooms painted all different colors throughout <laughs> the, the company because they're deciding what they want their workplace to feel and look like. And one group said, we want to paint ours pink. And I said, okay. And they laughed and said, oh, Mr. Ted, you're crazy. I said, no, I'm not. You're crazy if you don't think I'm not going to do it. So if you really want it pink, you need to tell me. Because if you want it blue, I don't want to repaint it if I already painted it pink. Uh, so they're getting a pink laundry room. And, and it's those little things that you'll never discover as, as somebody at my level if I don't get out and really talk to my people. We have an amazing collection of general managers at all of our properties, and we're very selective about who we hire and train for those jobs. Their job is exceptionally hard, and they can't catch everything. And sometimes they get tied up with trying to keep the business successful and trying to lead the people in, in a, a positive manner. They don't have time sometimes to say, hey, should we paint the laundry room? So, you know, being hands-on, being close to the nature of our business, by the way, I required of all the executives, even our chief financial officer spends a lot of time in our properties, getting to know our people and walking around. Uh, it also lets them know that they're not alone, that there's not some ivory tower somewhere collecting checks from everybody else's hard work. You know, this is Memorial Day weekend this weekend, and... On Saturday, I will go to no less than six or seven of our properties on Saturday. I'll fight the beach traffic. 
<laughs> I ride my bike over to Pensacola Beach so I won't be able to get over the bridge. <laughs> and I'll stop in and say hi to everybody and thank them for working on the holiday weekend, make sure everything's okay, get a quick update from the GMs, and then move on to the next market. And, uh, you know, it's the least we can do as leaders to show gratitude when people are doing the heavy lifting to keep your business moving forward. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, just to just to give the audience a little bit of a little bit of understanding, I think it is y'all y'all now have twenty seven properties that y'all own. That's right. Yeah, we're about to open our, yeah. I'm sorry, what was that? We're about we're about to open our twenty seventh property in about three weeks in Panama City, a, a Spring Hill Suites. Um we uh, also have uh Five restaurants and a handful of beachfront bars of various sources. Some of them we call Gilligan, some of them we call the Tiki Bar. <laughs> um, we got a, a little bit of light retail, not too much. We got a shopping center on the beach, a shopping center in Nashville that we own. Uh, we just recently opened a new restaurant, a fast casual walk-up counter that serves frozen drinks, beer and wine, uh, fresh bowl concepts like tataki bowls, tuna bowls, uh, shrimp baskets, um, and and we repatriated some beach on the sound side of the island where this restaurant's located. We also rent, you know, water toys like paddle boards and jet skis and stuff there. So our job is as much about creating experiences as it is about selling hotel rooms. So we're always looking for ways to better the experience for our guests better than what they had the year before so yeah and that and that's what kind of what i was getting at with that about the 27 properties with you being such a hands-on leader and all that on the opposite end of the spectrum do you have you had trouble maybe delegating out tasks and assigning tasks out to other people and how, um, and how have you, you know, how have you dealt with that if you have well that's an interesting question because Delegating, no, not really. Um, I'm a really good delegator. One of the reasons I think that my delegation comes so easy is because I am hands-on. So when I delegate things out, I have an understanding, I believe, of uh, what our regional directors and our VP of operation is, is dealing with and going through. And we talk on a regular basis. So uh, my awareness from kind of being hands-on with our staff and our properties and paying attention to what's going on really translates into an even playing field when it comes to communication with the operations team at our company. They know I'm speaking their language. They know I have the experience that they have. They know if I come in and say the brunch really wasn't that good on Sunday, I've got good reasons to say that. It's just not somebody who didn't like the way the beef was cooked that day. You know, I would never really complain about one little thing like that. I would only make a statement if I felt like we really missed the mark because I understand how difficult uh, the day-to-day challenges are. So, um, and, and, and because of that, that level of respect, mutual level of respect that I have with the operations team, it really translates well into the other day I said, you know, guys, we're not doing a very good job of, of keeping up the tropical flowers at the the portico shares and entry drives of the hotels. By noon tomorrow, they'll all be replaced. And I didn't really have to delegate. I just made a statement. Um, and, and that's, you know, my hands-on approach is supposed to be value-added, my mind. 
I'm not supposed to be out there looking for the gotcha moment with people. I'm supposed to be uh, providing guidance, advice, leadership, and 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 value to what these people are already doing for us day to day. If if I do anything that doesn't help us create value, then I fail. Um, and there are people out there that you'll find in the workforce. They just like to complain. They like to push people for the sake of pushing them. Uh, I'm only going to push somebody if I feel like that there's a better end zone to push them towards. Yeah, definitely. And you and you feel like that's a lot to do with your um, your co- like what you're talking about. You not really having to put that much effort into delegating it. Um, do you think that just has a lot to do with the culture and the mindset that y'all have established between you and Julian at Industry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Julian is is uh, likes to travel, likes to do a lot of things, but at the same time. He lives in one of our hotels, and uh, so he's there all the time, and I expect to get feedback from him on a regular basis. Our company does have a very unique culture. We call it the cooperative mode, and it's really a, a, a list of things that, that we train all of our employees on regardless of what their job is in industry about how we are with each other. It doesn't mask the fact that everybody's here to do a job or get in the way of holding somebody responsible for doing their job and accountable for doing their job. But it's a way that we're supposed to interact with each other, the respect we're supposed to share, the open level of communication we're supposed to have, the difference between explicit communication and implicit communication. Uh, we don't ever really want to ever communicate and imply things. We want to be explicit. If uh, somebody didn't do something right, the feedback they should get very respectfully was, look, you were supposed to do this task today. It wasn't done right. Let me show you the right way to do it so you know next time. Um, and by creating that level of awareness, uh, it also creates a level of respect and, and a sense of safeness that people know they're being told for all the right reasons and not all the wrong reasons. Wow. Well, that's definitely... The last 15 minutes has been some really solid stuff about like y'all's y'all's business and business strategy and how to really develop a culture. There's one more uh, one more question I know I want to get in here while I have you. It was um, the statement you made when you were talking to our class at in Pensacola when we went on that trip. Uh, you said I think it was challenge equals opportunities. Uh, could you go into yeah. a little bit of depth on your mindset with that and what you meant by that? So, you know, I think one of the big mistakes a lot of people make is they'll look at something and all they see is the challenge. And, um, you know, my statement that I make all the time, I say it in almost every staff meeting I have. I definitely say it whenever I go visit a property and do a town hall, which is something I do regularly. So if it's challenging, there's an opportunity in there. That's why it's challenging. Nothing good comes easy. Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it comes with luck. Lucky can come easy sometimes. But challenge usually means there's opportunity. And, and so when we look at something that's very challenging and building a hotel is challenging, getting, uh, changing zoning on land so you can build the kind of hotel you want is very challenging. A lot of people start going down the road of trying to change zoning code on a piece of property and they give up. We don't. 
if the zoning code is that tough, then we need to get it adjusted. So we need to be successful as a reason for that. There's a value in there for that. We need to unhinge it so we can realize that value, take advantage of the opportunity. So in the, in the zoning code sense, that really equates to barrier to entry, right? Yeah. So we specifically look for high barrier to entry markets to build our hotels. The easy button is let's go build a bunch of limited service hotels out on the highway on greenfield sites that are pre-zoned, pre-platted, already have utilities, already have curb cuts. They're two-acre rectangles, and they fit 100-room Hampton Inns and Holiday Inn Expresses. Those are easy hotel deals to do. Instead, what our organization does is we go out and we look for an acre on the ocean, which is a very small piece of land to develop. And then we say... Hey, I think we put 150 rooms on this acre. Sure, but we're going to have to go 18 stories. And to do that, we got to drive pilings into the sand 180 feet deep. Most people would run from that type of a development. It's too hard, too challenging, um, too many obstacles, too much risk. Those are the deals we go after. Challenge equals opportunity. Um, don't be afraid of something because it looks too hard on the surface. If you're able to master it and conquer it, the prize at the end is usually a lot bigger. Yeah, and I and I would almost and I want to. I've been wanting to get your opinion on this. Take it a step further, and would you say that challenge equals or a challenge would equal a purpose? With that, like with a challenge, you're also finding a sense of purpose and something to strive for. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a great way to 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 put that. Um, you know, and, and again, remember, if, if you've taken this path and you've got these core fundamentals you're following with your life and your career, and and you're going through the routine of whatever that looks like, whether you're a, a programmer or a contractor or a developer or a CPA or a finance guy, whatever path you take. Um, you know, you're going to be posed with these challenges and purposes should be important to you, you know, to have purpose in what you do and it's achieving, you know, conquering that challenge is going to, it's going to, it's going to achieve that goal for you on the purpose side of it. Absolutely will. Yeah, definitely. Well, Ted, I know, um, you're super busy, so, uh, is there any, do y'all have any kind of um, events coming up here in the next few months over the summer? I'm sure y'all have, y'all are plenty busy, but uh, do you have any events in mind that you'd want to shout out and let everybody know? Yeah, so there's some great stuff going going on uh, all over the Florida Panhandle and, and, and Orange Beach. Uh, where, you know, I mentioned we're opening our Spring Hill Suites and Panama City, it's going to be by far the nicest property in the entire beach market there. I toured it last week and was blown away by the attention to detail that our team took and our contractor took. And the pool deck is is as good as any pool deck I've seen anywhere, including Hawaii. So I got my fingers crossed we're going to be able to monetize that because <laughs> um, it really is pretty grand. And uh, and then, you know, we've created some really good restaurant experiences and some, and, uh, and, you know, all the beach markets 
up and down the panhandle right now have really come into their own. So if anybody hears this podcast and hasn't been down to the Emerald Coast lately to see what's going on, it doesn't matter if you're in Panama City, Fort Walton, Destin, Pensacola, Orange Beach. Those, in my mind, are where the best water is. Um, it's a, a really exciting time to be down here right now. Not just us, but the other companies that we compete with and are friends with down here are doing similar stuff we're doing. You know, we've all kind of set the tone with each other to up our ante and, and really show people a good time when they come here. So hopefully some people can come down and see what we're doing. That's awesome. I'm sure. I'm sure most of the people that have listened that are listening to this have spent at least a little bit of time down there in the Panhandle, and they know what a beautiful place it is. I thoroughly enjoy visiting down there. Uh, thoroughly and thoroughly enjoyed staying at y'all's um, hotel when we came down there with the business school. It was beautiful, um, and I mean, it's just it's an awesome experience. And so, I mean, great. Thank you. Yep. And Ted, I can't, once again, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on the show. And for everybody listening to this, can't thank you enough for taking the time to listen to it. We went on for almost 45 minutes, but I feel like it's been, every bit of it has been super helpful and super informational to you guys. So until next time, um, thank y'all very much. And this is Sam Key signing out from the Better Business Podcast.